0: Ignore the tone of voice and ignore the words that someone is saying and listen to the message. And that's probably one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned in my life was that someone could be screaming and someone could be shouting at you and someone could be swearing you. But layers below all of that is a powerful message that you can use to shift yourself. And if you get distracted by the narrative or you get distracted by the words or you get distracted by the tone of voice, you will never ever learn the lesson so one of the most powerful lessons is learn to carve away the noise to listen to
1: the message this is episode number 109 of the inspiring talk with shamal valabji Welcome back inside yet another episode of The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm your host for the show. Each week, I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. I'm excited to bring back Shamal on this episode of The Inspiring Talk. Since our last conversation, Shamal has been the person whom I could reach out with my life questions and insights he shares, has completely changed my perspective about a lot of things. Shamal's work on healing is hugely appreciated by people across and the depth that he brings on any interaction is something I'm fascinated with. This episode is extremely powerful as we go deep into the power of gratitude How you can start making this a part of your life. We talk about journaling and Shamal shares the journaling prompts that you can use. And trust me, some of these questions are going to make you question your beliefs and uncover those layers and go deeper within yourself. You will also learn how to deal with competition. How do you accept your flaws? And a lot. I enjoyed doing the exercise Shamal shares on this episode to help us remain humble and treat every human being equally. That simple exercise is transformative. I'm also very excited to share that Shamil and my team at Wine Studio have been working for the past few months on a new podcast called Perishable Wisdom, where Shamil and his guests go down the rabbit hole of peak performance and psychology. With just five released episodes, the podcast is already on the top charts on Apple Podcast. Do check the show out. I'll put the link in the description of this episode. Now, without further ado, let me welcome Shamal Valapji. Shamal, welcome back to The Inspiring Talk. Good to have you back. Thank you very very much. I always love being here. Super. And uh, the last episode that we did together, a lot of people really appreciated the wisdom and insights that you have to share with the audience. So how are you dealing with the Whole COVID situation? How have you been navigating through the entire situation?
0: I've had my ups and downs, uh, BJ. Honestly, it started off pretty easy in March last year. I was locked down in Goa for three or four months. Then uh, I experienced a little bit of loss because, you know, my spiritual master and my friend passed away. My dad landed in hospital. So two months went into that. It took me another two months to really process all of that, understand all of that, and really pick myself up to move forward. So Quite honestly, to everyone listening from like July till about end of November, I did very little. And with the exception of the only thing that happened in that time was my book, "Breed, Believe, Balance launched. And I think the only reason it launched was because I finished writing it in March. So the work was done and it was just up to the publisher to release it. And then after that, I started picking myself up again in December. And now I'm back full swing into writing, recording, all sorts of things. So
1: excited. Super. So more often than not, uh, shamble. A lot of people focus on what we lack instead of what we have. And while a lot of you know people in the personal transformation space say that you know you need to be grateful, you need to have gratitude for the uh, good things that happens in your life. And it's easy for you to focus on what you lack instead of like you know being grateful for what you have. And a lot of people actually feel that oh you know what is there a process that you know I can feel more grateful, or is there a way that I can or a ritual that I can bring in my life for instance personally for me I journal and write things down that I'm grateful about and that really helps me where I'm constantly just noting down the things and that also makes me want to focus more on hey what are the things that I'm grateful for today and you know it forces me to kind of think about those three things that I have to write down on my journal every single day right so what does that process look like for you and uh, you know maybe different practices that you do to count your blessings
0: yeah that's a great question so fundamentally You know, journaling is a process that I use as well, and I'm a firm believer in the process of journaling. And someone needs to understand why journaling is such a powerful practice. Well, the first thing about journaling is you're converting the mixed emotions in your head into something that's black and white and concrete on paper. So if you don't have clarity in your mind, you're going to have to find clarity to put it down on paper. So the first thing that journaling does is it helps you bring clarity to the thoughts that you have and the emotions that you have, first thing. The second thing is gratitude as a practice. Now, journaling, you can journal about anything. You can journal about pain. You can journal about the future. You can journal about the past. But gratitude is a practice about the now. So you're asking yourself, what am I grateful for now? Okay. Now, the reason why gratitude journaling is so powerful is because, Gratitude as a practice brings your thoughts from the past where it's really focusing on the mistakes you've made, uh, the future where you are focusing on the fear of failure. You're bringing it right down and you're concretizing it right here and right now, okay? So the emotions and the hormones that are driving your body or your physiology from the other two spectrums are no longer present because you're present right here and right now. Okay. so gratitude as a practice can not only bring clarity to your thoughts, but it can also shift your physiology. Because when you focus on the here and now, there's no fear of failure, or there's no fear of failure from previously as well, from the past. You understand? You're just focusing now. So, when the mind starts focusing on the here and now, and there's no fear present in the here and now, and if you spend enough time in that process, your physiology shifts. So It's a fundamentally powerful practice and I use it in the manner, in different manners. One is gratitude to center my energy right here and now. But I also bring gratitude into the form of like gratitude stones, which I leave all over my house, which have the word gratitude stone written on them. And I hold them and and for those moments that I'm holding it, I'm thinking about what are the things I'm grateful for. I do it through a journaling practice. My practices like chanting and meditation in themselves are gratitude practices. My breath work ends with a gratitude meditation where I repeat to myself at least 20 to 30 times, I am grateful for, and I complete the sentence with one thing I'm grateful for. Okay. And each time I force myself to become more mindful of that. The process of journaling is a little different. The process of journaling is where you find clarity, BJ. And you can only find clarity when you sit with something for long enough. Now, what journaling really helps with is it helps bring awareness to a particular problem. Right? But remember, awareness is the second step of healing. The first step of healing is willingness. You must be willing to heal mm. for you to still the mind long enough to draw awareness to it. When you draw awareness to something, you can accept it. When you accept it, you can take responsibility for it. And when you take responsibility for it, then you can focus on the problem and then shift that problem. So those are the steps of healing. It's willingness, awareness, acceptance, empowerment, and focus. And once you accept these in your life and you bring this in part of your journeying process, you'll find a massive shift in your psychology, in your healing and you'll be ensuring that every single hurdle you face is moving you forward in some shape and form.
1: Wow, great! I love you know some of those uh, things that I think uh, holding the stone, gratitude stone, and you know having something like that. I think is such a great way to remind yourself to be constantly be in gratitude, as you said, right? Right like for now, I have also always realized that whenever you know, your mind kind of focuses on what you lack and thinks that's not going right way. And it's often easier for you to forget all the good things that you have in your life. And, you know, just by that gratitude practice, just by feeling grateful for what you have and starting to focus on what you already have, then you all of a sudden, you know, switch your brain and you start looking for the good things, right? So you mentioned about journaling, Shamal. I would like to talk specifically about journaling process, not only the gratitude practice using the power of journal, so what is your usual journaling process? Is it like you use a lot sort of questions, prompts, or it's just you just want to uh, you know, start on a blank piece of paper and write what you are feeling and thoughts that's going on ahead? Or it depends on you know, uh, what is it that you want to journal about? The first thing I do is I'm always building a list of prompts that I can answer. But before
0: mm-hmm. I start the process of writing, I generally center myself with a little bit of breath work. I calm the mind, so I'm destabilizing or desensitizing the parasympathetic nervous system and making sure that I'm really calm and and relaxed at that time or the sympathetic nervous system. And after that, I set an intention for that practice. So what is it that I'd like to find from here? What is the clarity I'd like to bring? Intention is very important because intention drives your energy. Where your intention goes, your energy goes. Where your energy goes, everything grows. Now, I have a long list of journal prompts, and then I sit with that and I sort of peel away the layers of those questions. The first thing I do when I'm journaling is if I ask a question in there, okay, I draw a sort of vision board of all of those things that question is pertinent to, all of the aspects of my life or all of the people in my life that that particular question is actually pertinent to. I can ask then reframe that question in different ways. What are the other ways I would ask this exact same question? And has that question ever cropped up in my mind? Then I'm trying to understand, am I consciously fighting it or subconsciously fighting it in that question? So when I'm asking this question, I'm saying to myself, okay, right, is this present in my life and is it a constant daily conscious battle is it a subconscious battle that's sabotaging my growth moving forward? I look at my belief systems around that. Now that's called setting the framework. So you're setting the framework for how to answer questions so that you can get clarity out of that question and move forward with it. And then I spend anywhere from about 10 to 15 minutes really and truly absorbing that. Now my journaling process happens preferably in the morning around the same time. So I journal at about 9, 9.30 in the morning, every single day. And then I reread my journal entry in the evening before I go to bed. Because there's a lot of power Mm. in rereading it, seeing how it goes. And then I have a really beautiful practice, which people are going to think I'm crazy, but this is what I do. If the practice or the result of the journaling practice requires that I need to shift a belief system, if it requires that, Mm -hmm. I write the belief system, my new belief system, Mm. on a piece of paper. And when I'm lying in bed and falling asleep, it's a small post-it note. I leave that post-it note on my heart because the words Mm. and the energy of that belief system, your body can intuitively and subconsciously feel it and pull it into every cell.
1: Mm. I
0: love that. So that's something a little different that I do in my journaling process. And since you asked journaling, what I wanted to do was run people through maybe a few questions that I ask myself or some of my journal prompts.
1: That would be really
0: helpful. And and maybe they could listen to these. So I've got a whole list and I won't read all of them, but i would read you a few. So under prompts, for example, self-reflection, I ask myself, what do I need to let go of now? And if I trusted myself to let go of this, how would my life shift? What is something important? that I need to remind myself of daily. Can I surrender to my thoughts, feelings, and emotions? And what does it feel like to surrender? What does a healthy boundary mean to me? And can I recognize it in my life? What is the kindest thing I've ever said to myself? If I had a crystal ball that could answer only one question, what would I ask it? I ask myself, who do you need to forgive and why? And what is stopping me from doing this? Then a powerful one is, what is the areas in my life that I am playing it safe? Then in prompts for gratitude, I ask myself to write about a time a stranger was kind to me and how did it make me feel? I ask myself to write a letter to a parent thanking them for three things that they taught me. I write a hundred word thank you note to three people who helped me this week. I ask myself, how often Do you feel you should be more grateful for things? So not how often am I more grateful? How often do I actually feel I should be more grateful for things? Then what mistake or failure am I most grateful for and why? And then I ask myself, what are the things in my life that make me feel safe and protected? Then some examples of prompts for forgiveness is, when was the last time I truly forgave someone? How would I teach forgiveness by example? Do you feel forgiveness makes you stronger or more vulnerable? What is a good way in which you can apologize sincerely? Write a forgiveness letter to a younger version of yourself that is no more than 250 words of any date of your choosing. And then a few prompts around self-love that I'll take you through. What is the nicest compliment that you've ever received? Define self-love in one statement. And what is one thing that you can do to Mm -hmm. love yourself more each day? What does your best friend brag about you when they're talking about you? What is it that you need to Mm -hmm. say no to more often? What brings happiness to your life and how can you add more to it? So these are just a few examples of certain prompt questions that I work on every single day. And people make the mistake of thinking once you've answered the question, it's done. No, I have 50 to 60 prompts mm. and I keep revisiting them. Sometimes I revisit them monthly, weekly, sometimes every six
1: months. Depends on what I'm intuitively feeling that day. That also changes with uh, the stage that you are in your life, right? And, and the power of questions, asking yourself the question. This is something that I discovered back in 2019. And since I have been asking a lot of questions to myself and I must say, you know, this is such a powerful thing to ask yourself questions because then it. Starts uncovering the layers about yourself that you never thought existed within you, and those are really, really powerful questions, Shambal. So the other thing that I want to ask you is, lately I have been thinking a lot about the flaws that we all have, and I have been asking myself, you know, hey, what are the lessons that I have learned from my flaws? What is it that my flaws are teaching me? And one of the you know most important ones that you know, came up to me is acceptance. So now there are two parts to this. First part of that is acceptance of myself and my own flaws and owning them, saying that, you know, that's this is a part of me. And what I've also realized is while, you know, you accept your own flaws, that also teaches you to accept other people around you the way they are. Because, you know, you have learned to accept your flaws, then you are not looking for perfection in someone else because you realize that, oh, you know what, I am myself not a perfect person and I can't expect someone else to be the perfect. And so acceptance is one of the important lessons that I realized, you know, my flaws kind of taught me. So are there lessons that you have learned from your flaws? And if yes, then what would be those lessons? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and you ask
0: it in a very nice way. The first question is, have you made mistakes in your life? Okay, And I think everyone will say yes to that. Then the next question that follows up, if you look at the linearity of the rational mind, is have you learned from it? The answer is no, that will take you down a different organogram. And the answer is, if it's yes, then what have you learned from it? And then you can chronologically look at the power or the impact of those failures or those learnings in your life. So, a few ones that you're asking. The first thing I learned is that, you know, I come from the world of professional sport and the world of professional sport is not a very kind place at times. We talk about love, we talk about Mm. compassion, but really often we love each other, but the tone of voice and the words we're using are not very loving at that moment because we work in a high pressure cutthroat environment. Everyone looks at the athlete, that is at the top and everyone wants to be the athlete. But trust me, there's an equally larger population of people who are trying to be the you in that environment because there's one physio, there's one doctor, there's one sports scientist in that environment. And everybody wants to be that person as well. So it's quite cutthroat in some shape and form. So the first lesson I learned, which was really powerful, was to ignore the tone of voice and ignore the words that someone is saying and listen to the message. And that's probably one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned in my life, was that someone could be screaming and someone could be shouting at you and someone could be swearing you. But below all of that, layers below all of that, is a powerful message that you can use to shift yourself. And if you get distracted by the narrative or you get distracted by the words or you get distracted by the tone of voice, you will never ever learn the lesson. So one of the most powerful lessons is learn to carve away the noise to listen to the message. Linked to that one there is another powerful lesson, which is try to learn from the people who disagree with you the most. They are your greatest critics. Mm. And your greatest critics will always give you the Mm. biggest direction. So learn to learn from those you disagree with. Then When it comes closer to home with relationships and people, you know, I used to always get upset a lot. I used to react, I used to have these knee jerk reactions. And I realized that knee jerk reactions erode the dignity from every single relationship. So the one thing that I learned and one lesson that I have really brought into my life and I'm proud of how I brought into my life is that I'm very intuitively aligned to when a person's energy is off-center and when a conversation is not going to go in the manner that it is, or how they frame that question. And as soon as they frame a question, as soon as I see the energy is soft, I don't say anything about them. I take full responsibility for that Mm -hmm. situation and answering that question. And I say something very simple. I say, that's a really great question. But the truth is, I need some time to process it. And I need some time to do justice to this question. And can you please give me a day? And I promise you I'll come back tomorrow and we'll chat about this and I'll bring more concrete answers, more concrete thoughts and feelings. Right now, your question's powerful. I want to do justice to it, but I'm caught unawares. And I don't think I can do justice to it in my current state of mind. So to honor you, to honor the relationship, to honor everything, I'm going to take some time. And what I'm doing by taking time is I'm really giving their neurological system a chance to just reset, to calm down. So that when I do revisit this conversation, we can have a more fruitful conversation around it. Plus, I'm also giving myself the time to process it. And I think another powerful lesson that I learned is that do not allow yourself to be rushed by external circumstances or by external situations. If you are a trauma surgeon and your patient is dying, by all means, be rushed. If you need to have a conversation, it is not a high-pressure situation or a situation that dictates you needing to rush. You just learning from that, a lot of people give, and this is, I don't know how this will land with everyone, but a lot of people give a heightened sense of importance to the things they do, you know? They're mm. not that important. Yeah. Even a pilot, I was having a conversation with a pilot, I said, so how important is what you do and he gives me this long 20-minute call about how important and how many variables and stuff i said yeah but really and truly everything's operating on autopilot and you're there in case of emergency so the importance of your job kicks in in really difficult extenuating circumstances which is bad weather or foggy weather or things like that where a system has failed which should probably be called on about four or five times over the course of your career, not every single day. And what people don't realize is that when you give yourself a heightened sense of importance for the things you do, you create a heightened sense of expectation for the things you do. And expectation is creates mm-hmm. burden and burden creates stress. And people don't want the stress, but they want the importance because importance could bring you more financial reward and all sorts of things like that. So finding the balance between how you view what is important and the importance with which you word it or describe it to the world could mean the difference between how you manage stress anxiety on a day-to-day basis. So I generally really peel away the layers. I tell people, I say, I do good work. I do interesting work. There's a beautiful word called a heretic. A heretic is someone who thinks of something completely different from a completely different lens. I said, Hmm. I bring a a heretic Mm -hmm. sort of ideology to any problem, but my work's not Mm life-threatening. You know, my work's not important. Yeah, if I'm not there, there's a good chance the guy will win. There's a good chance he may not win, but it's not going to be the end of his life. It may knock him back a little bit. It may knock me back a little bit. But in that knock, there's also something else to learn from there. So downplay the importance of what you do on a daily basis and you become a significantly happier person.
1: Well, that's a really beautiful lesson there, Shamil. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask you this other question, which you have in a way kind of answered it already. And uh, whenever I have met you or and and known you for almost three years now, and uh, one thing that I, you know, really admire a lot about you is how humble you are. And, you know, people can feel that warmth around you, right? And oftentimes, when we see a lot of people, after certain successes that people have, they start feeling that, you know, I am superior to other people. And, you know, as you said, right, my work or my job that I do is very, very important. And, you know, put that, uh, you know, as you said, importance and significance in what they do. And, you know, that kind of makes a lot of people arrogant, right? So one thing that you, as you have already said that, you know what, my work is not necessarily life-threatening. And what I can sense from what you've just said is you keep reminding yourself that, you know, and I think that is such a great way to be grounded and at the same time, stay humble, right? Are there any other things that you'd like to share that really helps you stay humble and grounded?
0: Yeah, there's there's a few things you can do. The world is... Really, everyone should do this exercise and maybe let's, let's try this exercise, even though this is an audio podcast or maybe they'll see some visuals. Okay, so I want you to imagine where you are right now. So B J, you are sitting here, okay? And now, uh, let's pull the lens back and see yourself sitting in the room that you are. So you've moved the lens one back. Now move the lens one back and see yourself mm-hmm. in the house that you are. Then move the lens back and see yourself mm-hmm. in the lane that you are. Then move this and see yourself mm-hmm. in the district that you are. Then the lens goes back in the town that you are. And then the lens goes back in the state that you are. And the lens goes back
1: mm-hmm.
0: into the country that you are. And the lens goes mm-hmm. back into the continent that you are. And then the lens goes mm-hmm. back into the hemisphere that you're in. And the lens goes back into the world or the planet that you're on. And then the lens goes further back into the cosmic part of the universe that you rest in, And the lens can go further back into the big dark universe where you're now in relation, Earth is in relation to Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto and the Milky Way. And right now... You can't even see Earth. That's the size of Earth in relation to everything else. And the lens can go Mm -hmm. even further back till everything melts into nothingness. And then it comes back all the way through the Milky Way, through the cosmos, till you see Earth. Then you narrow until you see the hemisphere. Then you narrow until you see the continent. Then you narrow until you see your country. Then you narrow until you see your state then you see your district, then you see your city, then you see your lane, then you see your house, then you see your room, then you see you. And now we take it in and we go further down and I can't see you anymore. I see a cell and then I go deeper down and I don't see a cell, I see what is inside a cell. And then I go deeper down and I don't see what is inside a cell, I just see everything that looks like cosmic matter, exactly like what the universe looked like. And I go deeper down and I see that even what is there is moving and has life. And I go deeper down into the cellular structure of that and I see that even matter exists in that point of view. And then I bring myself back up again. Now, if you've closed your eyes and done this journey with me, you have really and truly melted yourself into nothingness On both extremities Mm -hmm. now when you absorb this realization then what is there to be proud about what is there to be arrogant about Mm. who you are and the perception of who you are right is only in relation to a minuscule part of reality but the larger cosmos of reality we are not even identifiable. We're not even there. We're playing a role in it. So just doing this exercise every now and then will help you ground your reality into nothingness, right? Doesn't mean you are nothing, right? You're still valuable. You're still mm. the essence of energy, but the ego can melt away when you do this. So that's a, that's a beautiful exercise that I like to do every now and then in my meditation. Yeah, expand my consciousness, contract my consciousness, move it laterally. You know, when you do things like this, then there's no need
1: for ego. Great. So I want to switch a little bit of uh, gears here. And uh, shamble as you mentioned earlier as well, uh, the cutthroat competition world, that's the sports where you come from and where you have trained athletes and help them with their performance right and in the sports worlds you're constantly competing with someone else right but in the real life scenario right competition usually is not a good thing for once on mental peace and obviously that might help you to maybe grow in a you know in unhealthy way maybe you know with the cost of your maybe the mental peace i would say so then you know so let's say when you, I want to know this from you. Okay. So when you feel competitive or when you feel like, you know, you are comparing with someone else, what is the brief to yourself or how do you kind of balance that with the fact that, oh, you know what, I have my own path and I have my own growth journey and, you know, I don't have to really compete with someone else.
0: There are a few things. The question is, am I saying to myself that I need to compete with someone And if you're saying to yourself that I need to compete with someone, then you really need to have a different emotional checkbox, you know, because we all are completely different people. If somebody else is trying to compete with you and is doing things in an external environment to limit your opportunities and limit the impact you could make in an environment, then even that would require a different set of emotional checkboxes for you. Now, I find myself in this situation quite a lot. You know, in a sporting world, I'm always around athletes who think they're very important. But more than the athletes, I'm around support staff who seem to protect their territory a lot, overly protective of a Mm. territory. You know, a physio doesn't want anyone to say anything to it. The coach doesn't want anyone to talk to an athlete before. The coach is scared of his assistant coaches. The physio is scared of the doctor. The doctor's scared of the massage therapist. Everyone's trying to kiss someone's ass, but it's scared of someone else in the same ecosystem. It's not a healthy place to be. And I've been in these environments many, many times. And fundamentally what happens in that time is, could I make an impact in the environment? The answer is yes. Could the impact that I make be done by someone else? The answer is yes. Then I ask myself, what is the greatest impact that I'm going to bring in my environment? And that's probably been the biggest shift I've had in my life. I realize that the greatest impact I bring into an environment is not my application of science. The greatest impact I bring into an environment is my energy, is my ability to get everyone to just pause for a moment to look at things from multiple perspectives and possibilities. Not everyone can get you to just sit silent for a while. That's a talent. That's a skill that I work at. And the person who gets you to pause for a moment can then give you the power to look at something from a different multidirectional, multi-planar
1: perspective.
0: And I realize that that's the greatest thing that I'm going to bring to the table. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring that all the time. But I'm never fighting in an ecosystem. If I feel that the opportunity is not presenting, if I feel that, what I'm going to say is going to come at the expense of upsetting the environmental energy or the culture, then I don't say anything. Mm -hmm. I step step away from the environment because you'll understand when you do the cosmic expansion exercise, you realize that even in that change room, the culture in that change room is more important than you. It's bigger than you. The team is bigger than you. And once something is bigger than you, it should take more importance or more precedence than you. Right? Mm. Now, ego is a pseudo of what we think is big. So some person may think, I scored more runs, I'm a bigger player. No, you scored more runs for sure. Mm. But on a human lens, we have the same number of bones, the same blood flowing through us, you've expressed your talent in a different way that is more recognizable in the current ecosystem. But you should practice Mm. realizing that you and I are equal. Now, The reason why the culture is bigger than both of us is because it took Mm -hmm. you plus me plus 20 other people to make the culture. That's why it's bigger than Mm. than all of us. So when you understand your position in an environment, it's very easy to understand the energy you bring in and how to drive that energy into that ecosystem. When you're unaware of the role you play in an environment, then the ego takes over when the ego takes over, you're now going to start operating from a part of your
1: brain that wouldn't make you very proud. Yeah. In the last few questions, Samuel, one of the things that's constantly coming up and which is the basis of a lot of things for one to realize is awareness, right? For you to heal, you got to be aware of, you know, first, as you said, like, you got to be willing to it. And then, you know, the very first step after that is you got to be aware of it, right? For you to, you know, be centered and, Humility, the first step, again, is like you've got to be aware of where you are. And, you know, even the whole exercise of, uh, you know, that you suggested is kind of bringing the awareness, right? So for somebody whom concept of awareness is completely new, how can one start maybe, you know, becoming more aware of the things that's going on in their life so that they can start developing this? What are the few things that you suggest? Like for me personally, I realized, you know, meditation is one of those things that has helped me to calm down slow my mind and just look at the thoughts that's going on on my head and you know that really helps me bring the awareness and understand what's going on right
0: yeah so the first question is where do you want to shift your life what aspect of your life do you want to shift do you want to shift in your career do you want to shift Mm -hmm. in your relationships do you want to shift in your mental health do you want to shift in your career so draw your awareness to the area that you want to shift then fundamentally let's go back to the five steps of healing the first question is am i willing to do what is needed to shift if the willingness is mm-hmm. not there awareness won't follow so a lot of people and this is the first tipping point point: 99 of the world have a desire to improve one percent of the world are willing to do what is needed to have that desire manifest so very simply What is the quotient of willingness that you have to move your life in a certain direction within that plane that you pick? That willingness will drive Hmm. awareness. Now, depending on where you are. So if, for example... Sorry to cut you, but
1: yeah, I mean, that shows up, right? If you are willing, then you are ready to take every action that is required for you to make that change and
0: shift, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It shows up in many shapes and forms. And the awareness is now a byproduct of that. So once you're willing to do a change, Mm. you start automatically asking yourself, what do I need to change? Just that question itself is awareness, Mm. isn't it? So awareness is a byproduct of willingness. Once you're aware, Mm. then you can start taking responsibility and action into play. So fundamentally, awareness is simply a byproduct of willingness. So You may be aware of a problem, right? but the awareness of a problem and the awareness of what is needed to change that problem are two completely different things. Like, for example, Mm. I'm aware that I need so much of money to retire. Let's take an example. I'm aware I I need a million dollars to retire, hypothetically saying. Am I willing Mm. to work a little harder to get that million dollars? Answer is no. Right. End of the question. Right. Because I can't ask the next question of what should I do? Because you're not willing to do. Now, mm. scenario two, I need a million dollars to retire. Am I willing to do something different to get that million dollars? answer is yes. Question, what is it that I'm willing to do differently to allow that million dollars to retire? What is it that I'm willing to do differently is awareness. Awareness followed mm. willingness.
1: That's beautifully explained. It begins with the willingness and the first question that you ask when you say like, hey, what is it that I need to change? What is it that I need to do to change the current scenario, right? If I want to go from A to B, then, you know, what is it that about A that I need to change so that I can move towards B? Then that's how you develop the awareness first to the willingness. That's a beautifully explained, Shamal. So one thing, you know, Shamal, I really get fascinated with the people like you who have this depth of understanding about the life and uh, you know a lot of wisdom about life in general and uh, has got a lot of answers to the you know questions about the life how do you educate yourself like how do you take in the information process them and how do you kind of first learn and I want to also like there are a lot of questions that's going on in my head like I want to ask all of them at once so let's first begin with how do you learn what is the process of taking up the information and we'll move to the second part which is how do you kind of connect the dots and the different things that you have learned is there a way that you kind of organize all of your learning together so that you can use them at the relevant place i'm just curious to know that the first a few fundamental steps if i'm looking at my life
0: one is the willingness to learn from anybody and everybody so i don't have a set of mentors that i go to for all answers and I do not get distracted by the popularity or success of a person. So right now, for example, mm. you know, everybody wants to learn from a Vijay Shekhar Sharma or a Kunal Shah or someone like that, you know, or a Bhavish Shagarwal. But the truth is that an entrepreneur in a small shop who has failed as much can teach you as much about life, right? So the willingness to learn from everybody is super important. The second thing is I learn from multiple fields. So I'm always reading and studying about people in aeronautics, in art, in architecture, in biology, in cosmology, in astrology. I'm learning about mechanical engineering. I'm learning about every subject on the planet. I'm I'm learning and peeling away the layers of it. And then when something interests me, I go into the making of it. So what is it that actually goes mm. into that? What is the thought process that goes into it? I'm very intrigued with how someone thought about something before it actually manifested. And then I think the most powerful thing is that I know that everything has a percentage of failure attached to it. So I account for the failure. So I'm always accounting for failure. So, for example, when I'm learning a new piece of information, in applying that information, there's going to be a failure quotient in it, right? So I'm accounting for the failure quotient, so failure is never knocking me back because I've always thought about it. You know, BJ, I, I used to ask, mm. my, how did I learn this? Was I learned this through ultramarathon running. I'm saying, you know, the days when I want to go to the gym and after five kilometers, I stop running, I'm exhausted. But yet... There'll be a day when I can run a hundred kilometer race and I wouldn't stop at all. I will just keep going. Now, Mm -hmm. what is the difference between those two days? And the difference is not in the body. The difference is in mentally understanding the hurdles that I'm going to overcome. On the day when I'm planning to do a hundred kilometers, I've accounted for every potential variable that could come in blisters, dehydration, heat, cold, whatever getting lost whatever it is I've accounted for it so my mind knows how to overcome it when it comes when I go to the gym in the morning I've not prepared for the hurdles that could come in there so I never get overcome I can never overcome them because the mind's not prepared for them so when you account for failure you think of the hurdles and you know how to jump over them so that's really what I'm doing and then the last thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to apply knowledge laterally so I'm taking Hmm. a particular skill and I test myself this at all the time. So I take, for example, let's assume a methodology that I would use in training a professional athlete. Let's take a sliver of the science. For example, microbiome. I am testing gut microbiome. And I know that understanding your gut microbiome can help with your food ingestion, which can help with performance, right? Now, the question is, how do I bring the same level of science with the same level of importance and the same level of urgency to a charter accountant to a painter to a sculptor mm. to a teacher to a doctor doctor's the easy one to an astronaut to a person in a minefield how do i take that same piece of information laterally everywhere and what that's doing is that's mm. teaching me the art of how to laterally use a skill and how to laterally use a piece of information and the more you do this you get used to thinking laterally and when you get used to thinking laterally, Mm. life becomes a very very interesting place
1: yeah that's a really interesting piece and i'm gonna pick some of those things that you've shared there and you know implement in my own life so the other thing Shamal, that i want to ask you is because, you know, when you are at a certain stage doing certain things, there are so many people who want to work with you, or maybe there are so many. So one could be in the professional level, right? Where where people want to work with you or others could be on the social circle or your, you know, people that you have known come up with the requests and the things that they want to do with you or together with you. And there might be things where that does not resonate with your value system or is not a priority for you or is not going to help you in any way to kind of go towards the goals and the vision that you have for your life? And how do you say no to those kind of requests? Is there a way that you use or a template that you use or the heuristics that you use to kind of say no to the things that really do- does not resonate with uh, you know what you're trying to do?
0: So for me, and I mean, this is not a great answer, to be honest, and it's not an answer I would ask everyone to apply. But the thing that works for me is very simple. All I'm doing is I'm looking at the quantum of time a person needs from me. And the reason I'm looking at that only is because if people are asking me to jump on a 30-minute call or a chat or a podcast recording, I'll say yes to 90% of them. Why? Because it's not about how big that person's following is or whatever. If one person is Mm -hmm. listening to, to that podcast and it gives me the opportunity to impact that one person i take it but the second thing Mm. is that you know most people make the mistake of always wanting to associate with people who can move them forward but remember you are Mm. the person who can move someone else forward you understand yeah so absolutely if one hour of my day can go to propelling someone's life forward in a direction that can help them become more impactful more sustainable Give them more direction and more purpose that's an hour well spent so the mere decision making for me is how much of my time is it actually going to take and and really mm. and truly pj yeah, i spend at least six to eight hours of my own day just studying myself watching videos reading studying making notes journaling all of that so the time for what people ask generally comes out of that and that's really my only yardstick because my grandfather once told me a beautiful story, or this is not even a story, it's a real situation that happened. You know, when I was growing up at home, we used to make sandwiches for beggars every single day, right? We used to make two or three loaves, and my father had a shop at the bottom, and these people who were begging, used to come for sandwiches there. And one day in the afternoon, my grandfather walks down at about four thirty to my dad's shop, and the basket of sandwiches is completely full. And my grandfather got a little upset. He says, how can you not given these the whole day? They're sitting here, why are you wasting it? So my grandfather said, you know, really and truly, my dad tells him, no beggars came today. I couldn't find a single one, you wouldn't be. My grandfather said, that is absolutely ridiculous. I don't believe that. There are beggars everywhere, every single way. Upsettingly, and he was 80 at this stage, took the basket and he started walking down the road. He walked a kilometer and a half through the whole town up, walked a kilometer and a half back, and he came back with a full basket of sandwiches. And my father asked him, What happened? And he said, You're right, there's no beggars today. And the important lesson right here is that when someone knocks on your door for help, even that is something to be grateful for. Because karma or good action or dana or seva is a benediction from the universe. You need an opportunity mm. to serve. Without an opportunity to serve, you cannot serve. Yeah. If nobody's hungry, who mm. you going to give food to? You know if everyone's rich who can you help you understand if nobody wants to listen to you who are you going to talk to so gratitude comes from that in the first place so i look at everybody who knocks on my door as an opportunity to serve and the only filter because of the world we live in is time right now i'm not looking at anything else
1: awesome so i will ask one more question shammal and we'll call it off so what is the one question that you've been asking yourself a lot lately? You know, so let me, let me give you some background. My definition of
0: success is to be able to listen to my heart, the strength to listen to my heart, to my intuition, the courage to take action, and the conviction or strength to accept the consequences of that action. That's my definition of success. So listen to my heart, have the courage to take action, and have the confidence or the strength to accept the outcomes guided by my heart. And the thing that I ask myself more and more every single day is, how can I learn to surrender more? How can I learn to surrender to every emotion? Each emotion has its own process of surrender. Each process has its own process of surrender. So how can I learn to surrender to love? And amazing, I went through a beautiful experience just a few weeks ago where... I've always been someone like in a relationship. I'm always serving. I'm always helping, trying to do that. And I went through a beautiful meditation ceremony where my only intention was teach me how to surrender to love. And I went through that and it was a beautiful mm. experience with breath work. And I learned it. And 48 hours after that experience, the first overwhelming feeling in my body was fear. And mm. I realized the opposite of love is fear. People say the opposite of love is indifference. No, mm. when you're indifferent, there's no love. The opposite of love is fear, mm. because when you love, it's the fear of losing it that comes in.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: It's not indifference. I, I read this quote so many times. I've probably even used that quote. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is not indifferent. A person who is indifferent does not love, and he's not invested in them. The opposite of love is fear. Mm-hmm you know, in a different context than we normally use it. And this yeah. overwhelming feeling of fear that just came in, fear of losing the one you love, fear of getting hurt, fear of emotional pain. And then comes the process of how do I surrender to that fear? And then mm. comes how do you surrender to trust? Wow. How do you do that? And each one will take you down its own rabbit hole, which is ex- exceptionally beautiful. But that's the question that's been on my mind and been sitting with me for a very long time. And I ask myself every single day,
1: how can I surrender? Wow, this is beautiful. On that beautiful note, Shamal, for everybody who's listening to this podcast, Shamal and I, we are super, super excited to be releasing you know, Shamal's podcast, "Perishable Wisdom, which already has five released episodes. And uh, Shamel brings profound insights from the world of sports and psychology combined together to you know help you guys get better you know and, and you guys have seen the depth of the work that uh, you know Shamel does and now imagine that happening with Shamel plus his guests who are equally an expert in the fields and the things that they do and the depth of the work that they do um so the podcast is called perishable wisdom Shamel would you like to share some what Perishable Wisdom is for everybody who is listening and why should they check the podcast out?
0: Vijay, thank you so much. Uh, Firstly, thank you to you and your team who have helped me make this entire thing possible. Perishable Wisdom was really a dream uh, for a long time and uh, you gave it wings and allowed it to fly. The reason we called it Perishable Wisdom is exactly that. It doesn't need any explaining that every single piece of knowledge that comes into the gambit of your view or your realization has a shelf life in it. So what I'm trying to subconsciously get people to understand is action the knowledge you know right now because it won't be relevant at a certain point in time later. And it's really been a beautiful journey of uh, interviewing some really powerful guests, friends of mine who are thought leaders in fields. I mean, we've had people, the last episode, we had someone like Tim Gabbard who spoke on Workload management, and for those people who are interested in training, Professor Tim has published more than 250 peer-reviewed papers just on workload, or for an athlete. So, how much should mm-hmm. you actually lift in the gym, and how should you recover and game-specific training? 250 papers, scientific papers, is a significant amount. We've had Adam yeah. Roa, Adam Roa, who talks about self-love and vulnerability, is a spoken word artist who actually went viral in the world. He's he's had more yeah. than 50 million views from his poetry online. It's just powerful, and you, and you really love it. We've had Marcus Rainey, who was a doctor who's worked with NASA. He's worked with the Royal Air Force. Then we had Paddy Upton, for example, who was a coach at Rajasthan Royals. And there's some really exciting people coming up, like Marissa Pierce coming up, Mamie um, Nicklin, who's an empathy leadership coach who specializes in teaching empathy to uh, leaders and corporates and and tons more coming up. So I'm thoroughly excited because the tagline for the show is the rabbit hole of everything possible, probable, and illogical. And that's what we really talk yes. about. You know, I'm, as a host, I am pushing the envelope on things that may sound absolutely crazy. I am asking some really stupid questions, getting them to explain some really simple concepts so that everyone understands it. But, uh, the last thing I'd say about the podcast is, uh, PJ, mm-hmm. it's been a journey in itself for me. You know, I've seen how I have evolved over five over, and how it's going on. My, the art of podcasting, the art of speaking to someone, the art of interviewing, the composure I bring to it, the level of preparedness I bring to it. It's been such a remarkable journey. And to everyone listening out there, what I learned through the process of podcasting is that we all need to pick one thing in which we can challenge our fears for me podcasting was that and i'm growing through the process of podcasting so please subscribe and listen to it be a little bit kind because i'm still in the process of learning how to do this
1: (laughs) No, absolutely. Shamal does a great job of having conversations with people and wisdom that he brings on the show. It's been such a great thing for us at Wine Studio to produce the show and bring this together with you. Uh, And as we are having this conversation, the podcast "Perishable Wisdom, which I'm going to obviously link on the description of this episode, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast listening platform, is already rocking the charts, is number 5 on self improvement on apple podcast in india you know alongside robin sharma jim quick and so on and so forth right so this is great uh, to kind of have the show with just five episodes already rocking the chart this speaks the volume of the kind of content that's there so i highly highly encourage that you guys go ahead and listen to that show because if you love the inspiring talk i'm sure you guys are going to love that even more so shamal would like to add anything on that one before we
0: Yeah, thank you so much, uh, BJ, for the opportunity of being on the Inspiring Podcast. Uh, To everyone listening, you know, do get in touch. You can write to me on Instagram at Sharmal. Follow the Perishable Wisdom page on Instagram because BJ and I got something really exciting coming up. We're going to create that into a community with some super powerful hacks, videos. It's going to be closed door very, very soon. So go and subscribe there. Join us. Share this wisdom. and, And let's create a community where we can learn from each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's basically giving the platform for the people who enjoy personal transformation, who love getting better in their life. Uh, imagine everybody of that mindset coming together and learning from each other. That would just be, that's the vision that we have. Again, more on that later on, but thank you, Shambal. It's always such a pleasure to have a chat with you and I continue learning a ton from you. Thank you so much for you know spending this time with us today. Thank you so much, Vijay, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, or wherever you get a podcast from. And don't forget to check our new podcast called Perisible Wisdom by clicking on the link shared on the description below or searching for Perisible Wisdom on a favorite podcast app. You can access the show notes of this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 109. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.